A quick note at the top here. There is some language in this episode, and I wanted you to be aware in case you were listening and there were small children within earshot. So do with that information what you will. And now, here is my daughter to count us in to our regular introduction. One, two, three, four! You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. Edification. Noun. The instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. Edification. Empathy. Noun. The action of understanding, being aware of, or being sensitive to the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of another. Empathy. You'll notice that this episode of Song and Story is significantly longer than any of our previous episodes. The reason for this is, mainly, my own edification demanded that I take a little more time than usual to practice empathy. Our featured artist is Ike Ndolo, a singer-songwriter from Phoenix, Arizona. Ike and I have only met once, very briefly, in a setting that was crowded and chaotic and not really conducive to conversation. But we have a lot in common. We've run for years in many of the same circles. We've worked and played with many of the same artists. We have a ton of mutual friends, acquaintances, and colleagues. We were born approximately one year apart. We both grew up Catholic in the suburbs, in the Midwest, and we both explore spiritual, cultural, and socially conscious themes in our music. But unlike Ike, I have no idea what it's like to be black in America. Hey everybody, Ike and Dolo here from Phoenix, Arizona. This song is from my 2018 album, Shine. It's called Your Table. The only black family in the white church Pops when the mass in some dope shirts Mama made sure we never missed a thing Blue-eyed Jesus looking down on me Brown skin always seemed to be the enemy Well, I don't know where I fit in If life is a sin for me Do I have a part to play? Is there a melody that's written for me? Is there a place for me to take? Is there a song all your people can sing? Dreams. 
from a story that I want heard A black kid growing up in the suburbs White God, white cops, white preachers White shows, white songs, white preachers hey, See the world through another's eyes Maybe learn how to empathize Oh, with the brother on the outside As far as the album as a whole is concerned, the variety throughout is awesome. I think it's safe to say that this track is the most lyrically is the most transparent in that it's it's the most directly explicitly about you and your life yes. growing up. Yes. You know, everything else there's there's poetry, there's metaphors. Here there's none of that. It's clear and direct. The opening line is the only black family in the white church. Mm-hmm. I was one of pretty much 100% white families in the white church growing up. And any time there was a black family in the church, you noticed them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't, we didn't judge them. We didn't think. We're just like, oh, where did they come from? <laughs> you know? Oh, like, right, exactly. That's, exactly. That's the thought you have. And so I've obviously had this thought a lot in the last several years, I have no idea what it is like to be black in America. And so my first question, I think, about this song for you is, what in your life, what was the culmination, or I guess the moment that led you to start fleshing all of these thoughts out in this song? This is, it's probably, this has been, I mean, years and years and years and years in the making, you know? and I, I was talking to a friend and it's like, this is something that like, you know, he's asked me like, how often do you think about these things? Like race issues and all stuff. It's like, I don't ever stop. I can't, I don't ever stop. And a lot of white people get very annoyed by that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh man. You're telling me, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like getting annoyed. It's like, why do you have to focus on race so much? It's like, I don't have a, I don't have a choice. And, and, and um, you know, for me fleshing out, and I don't want to use this word lightly, but there was slight trauma when you're growing up um, and going to a church where, you know, nobody looks like you, your savior doesn't look like you, none of the same, no, you know, like the statues, they're all not like you. And so what that says sometimes, what that says to a, a small brown child is, is you are not, um, you, you, because of your skin and what you look like, you are being saved um, by the great white whatever savior. And so you're not really included in this. We, we had to help your wretched self, but you're, you're, you're not really a part of us, you know, but we'll rescue you, but you're not really, you know, you're not really part, you know, you're, you're almost like set apart in a way. And that, that can be, um, and it's why representation is such a big deal um, in, you know, media and all that stuff. And, you know, like when I, you know, when I see an all black cast on TV show, it means something, you know, like it might just be another show to some people, but to, to, you know, small brown child, it validates their existence, you know? And so for me, uh, it was, 
and I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a super nerd, you know, like I love like science fiction and fantasy. And like, I read that, I read those, I mean, I was a, you know, massive book reader and I would read those books all the time. And, uh, none of those books, you know, had black characters, none of them, you know, like some of my favorites, like C.S. Lewis, like the Brown characters in those books were, um, like bad, like the enemy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, uh, you know, that was like, uh, you just felt less than. Did you, did you notice that at a really young age? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I, like I go back to C.S. Lewis, you know, and, um, all of my Christian friends are constantly like, yeah, C.S. Lewis. And I, I mean, it's great. And I read those books, you know, the line, the witch and the wardrobe and, and the whole series, um, several times, you know, but it always was like sad to me that the Brown characters were the bad people, you know, like those, they were the, um, the other ones who worshiped this weird God. And, you know, like it was kind of very clear, the distinction and, you know, like the descriptions of like the Narnians, as opposed to, I think the Kalermans or the Collermans or whatever, um, you know, like the, the, like how they were described was, was not lost on me even as a first grader, which is, which sucks, you know? So that was my kind of existence. And there's white Jesus and white Mary and, you know, all, you know, all that stuff all around. And, um, you just feel on the outside. And and so when I growing up, um, going to this white church, when most of my black friends did not go to white churches, they were going to, you know, the black churches in town. And, um, it was, uh, I think there was a little bit of, um, trauma and displacement for me that I felt. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I tried to find my identity and I got super into, um, civil rights issues um, but even more on the militant side, you know, like I was, um, I mean, I read the, the biography for, of Malcolm X like several times and, um, you know, super into the Black Panthers. And, you know, it was really just because I was struggling to find purchase. Like I needed to find a place, you know, where did I fit? And even for me, that w- went a little bit further because I wasn't just black, you know, in a, you know, I was African. You know, my parents are from Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole that had added a whole nother dimension, even with my black friends, because even with some of my black friends, I was considered out a little bit, you know, like a little bit on the outside. It's like, well, you're African, you know, and this one girl one time in high school, I think my sophomore year, she wasn't even black. She was a Cambodian, but she was dating a black guy. She was like, we were having a conversation about something. She's like, well, you're not black. I was like, excuse me. Yeah. She's like, well, you're not black. You're African you're not black. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's, I think you're just the most wrong ever, but that, you know, like that's like all those things, you just kind of keep, keep taking these blows and feeling like you don't fit anywhere. So your table was a song that's been ruminating in my soul. I don't know if ruminating is the right word, but you know, it's been, it's been in my, it's been on in the works for a long time. And uh, I was sitting down and I was like, I'm like, okay, I had what came up honestly was were those lyrics first the only black family in the white church okay. when, and when, I was, when and was I, this how long ago this was oh this was like last year uh maybe a year and a half ago year and a half ago okay so you know I was like okay the only black family in the white church you know and I'm like oh I'm gonna rap 
Because <laughs> yeah. I just, I had this, I would want to be a rapper so bad, but I'm not, you know? So, um, so I'm like, oh, okay, the only black fam in the white church, you know, okay, pops went to mass and some dope shirts. My parents are Nigerian. <clears throat> My dad would always dress up to the nines and like traditional Nigerian stuff. Like that was like that line. You know, my mom never, you know, the next line was mama made sure I never missed a thing. And so I had those three lines and I was on those three lines for weeks. And um, I was just, you know, like, okay, how is this going to go? And like, can I even rap? Like, is that even, that's probably lame. I'm not a rapper. And I went back and forth. And then finally I, I was sitting at the keyboard and I um, came up with the da-da-da-da. There's that, that um, the uh, the strings are doing that. You know, right? And I, uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, I did that like on my keyboard with like a synth string thing, and I kind of warped it a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like that'll be like the, the line going through the deal, and then, um, and uh, so I started putting like chords around it, put a beat behind it, and then that's when the song started to flesh out even more. Because I, you know, when I started that line, I was like, this is going to be a story, but how, where, like, what am I going to tell, like? what's going to be in this? Like, am I going to talk about, um, you know, my parents and, you know, and how they experience racism. I definitely wanted to start with, you know, like, Hey, you know, like, have you ever thought about this? Like being that only black person, the only black person in this all white environment. Like I definitely wanted to start there. And, and after I came up with that, those simple pieces, um, it all just kind of fell into place. Um, and I always wanted that middle section to just be this moment. And I trying to look for something to put there. Like Chase was actually the one that found, I've heard this guy, his name is Denez Smith in that middle part um, where the poetry is. He, um, he's just this like, you know, this poet. Um, is that him reading it? Yeah, that's, that's him. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a video that we found and uh, we just took the audio and then I was like, I'm going to contact him to see like, cause, cause Chase, like, I think this is public domain. I'm like, I don't think so. I know that I've heard this guy and I'm like, I don't, this is not like old, you know? So let me, so I contacted his management and uh, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm like, I'll put you in the liner notes, all that stuff. He's like, okay, that's great. And uh, gave, gave me permission to use it, which was awesome. Um, the, the poem is called Dear White America. And it's a pretty, I mean, it's in, like, it's an, it's an intense poem. Like the whole thing is, you know, and I, I, I took the part, um, we took a part that felt, felt that really fit the song. Do you know it offhand? Which part you took? Yeah. Because uh, it's hard it's hard to make out all the, everything he's saying. The poem is basically about like, hey, I'm done with this and I'm leaving. You know, the, it starts out with like, you know, Dear White America, like I think it's like I'm, I've left Earth, you know. Um, uh, oh yeah, I've left Earth in search of darker planets, a solar system revolving too near a black hole. I've left, I've left in search of a new God. I do not trust the God you have given us. My grandmother's hallelujah is only outdone by the fear she nurses every time the blood fat summer swallows another child who used to sing in the choir. Take your God back. Though his songs are beautiful, his miracles are inconsistent. That's the section that oh, we man. used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it is. It's like... and. and Yes. When I, when I read that, when I, when I heard that, I was like, Oh man, you know, cause there is that, there is that sense of like who, and I, and I feel this now and I'm, um, if anybody ever follow, if anyone follows me on Twitter, they, they know I, I'm pretty vocal about how I feel about where we are in our country at this moment. That sense when he says, take your God back. There's sometimes I'm like, I've said to friends, like, I don't know this Jesus that 
um, a lot of people are professing. I don't know that Jesus. I, I and maybe I, I just don't know that. I don't know that Jesus. You know, and it's because it's taken me a long time to let go of that Jesus that is very prevalent in white evangelicalism Christianity. You know, which is permeated also into all faith. You know, like all Christian faiths. Sure. You know, and um, I like I, I don't know. I don't know that Jesus, you know, I don't know that God. And so that, that, you know, that line, you know, when he, you know, when he says, um, I do not trust the God you have given us, you know, that's like a, you know, as a black person, especially for me, you know, the, the, um, the black experience is, is varied. It's not, you know, homogenous and, you know, there's like different stories, but, um, for African-Americans for, you know, who were brought to this country, um, via the transatlantic slave trade, they were given a God. They were given a God that was meant to cow them and to make them submit um, and to make them think they're inferior. Yeah, who's, and whose written word justified their enslavement. Exactly, exactly. You know, Scripture was used as a weapon against the African slave. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, it's a wonder that any black people stayed Christian and a lot of a lot didn't, you know, but so many did, you know, and so now there's safe havens within the black church, but even within the black church, you know, there's still, you know, um, there, there's obviously factions, you know, they're, you know, black preachers who, you know, are for, you know, like our president, for instance, and there's some who are very, very, very not, you know, and like, it's like this big chasm, but there was that sense of you've given us a God that doesn't love us really and really just you know requires us to be subservient subservient to this white race you know that's enslaved us and yes slavery was a while ago but it wasn't that long ago and we're still feeling the repercussions in our country and i think that's when you said you know when when this conversation you know how i'm feeling like white people get annoyed by it because it's like I think even as Americans, we do this, like, no, that happened a long time ago. Like, let's just focus on the now. We're all together. It's fine. Everything's fine. You know, they marched. Yeah. He's got a, Martin Luther King has a statue. We're good now. It's like, no, man. (laughs) No. You know, um, people can't fathom why someone would be, uh, you know, up in arms about an unarmed black person getting shot. Or, for instance, my particular trepidation and fear of police officers which is a real thing and i'm not this is not disparaging against um police officers because i have friends who are cops but at the same time i still feel that fear right you know when i see a, a police officer driving down the road and i have you know my license my registration and my insurance card up above me you know in my little um sun visor you know just like a little pocket there as opposed so to that the glove way, box as opposed to the glove box yeah. or keeping it in my pocket or the side, you know, and so that way when they come, I pull, I, my hands are already up reaching for it or I put it on the dash, you know, and if I can, I'll just get my license out real quick, put on the dash, less movement as possible. Um, just no excuses. And, you know, my wife, who's white, was driving, we were driving in my car, which you don't often drive in my car together. And, uh, she was like, I told her like, Hey, if you get pulled over, I just told her, and I wasn't even thinking about it. I just told her like, here's my insurance card. Here's my, you know, whatever registration. And she was like, she's like, okay, but she's kind of quiet. And, uh, later on in the drive, I noticed her taking a video or taking a picture 
of my of me. I'm like, oh, he's taking a picture of me. He's like, I'm just trying to take a picture so I can explain to people what it's like to like be you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, you know. Um, so it's a, you know, so someone asked me literally, I think just yesterday, two days ago, like, how do you think about this often? It's like it's like my life. It's my reality. You know, like I'm I'm fearful whenever I'm in Scottsdale. You know, um, and you know, because I'm I I clearly don't belong, you know, and I, I get nervous and I try to smile and seem less intimidating. So no one calls the police on me, you know, like that's like a real thing that happens, you know, for me. Um, we were just in Minneapolis, you know, and we were rehearsing for this festival and, um, someone let us use their studio. It was in like in this neighborhood and it was really nice, but it was late by the time we got out and I was really nervous um, and everyone's like, you shouldn't be nervous. It should be fine. And I'm like, someone's going to call the cops on us. And literally within 10 seconds, a cop rolls on the, rolls on the street with the, like their floodlights on. And I'm like, well, we have a white, we have one guy, we have one white guy with us. So I think we're going to be okay. But I'm like, I'm terrified, terrified. And maybe that cop was just looking for a raccoon, you know, who could, you know, who, or, you know, like, uh, whatever, you know, like he could have just been, you know, doing something else but for me i don't forget the facts that i'm three four times likely to be shot than you know my electric guitar player who was standing next to me so um do you, it's uncomfortable but yeah, it's real yeah do you ever do you ever have these conversations with your friends that are cops do you bring it up no well one one um one but um and he's new, you know, he's a new cop, he's uh-huh. black, you know, we've had conversations about it. Um, but at the same time, I, I never want to be disparaging, you know, to him. Um, I believe in him. I know him, you know, like, right. He's a good dude. But I think that the idea, like for, I think for a lot of white people, they're like, they were, they were taught to trust police officers inexplicably. Anything goes wrong. You just go to them. They'll, it'll be fine. And that's not, what happens in in the majority of the black community or a good portion of black community. You're not taught to trust the cops. You're taught to be cautious. At the very least, you're taught to be cautious. Not, wow. you know, um, so, and so I'm not it, saying this is all across the board. I'm sure right. there's plenty of black families who were, you know, like, no, trust the cops. It's fine. Or, you know, obviously cops, but I, I because essentially you're talking, you're talking about like trusting human beings which sure you want to do, but just on a base level, I'm not going to trust every single, I'm not, I don't trust every single person that walks on the street. And that goes the same for a police officer. Like no offense, but you put on a badge, like you're still just a human being like that's, and that's okay. You know, we, we know that to be true in all aspects of life, you know, especially now in the Catholic church, like just because you're a priest doesn't mean you're perfect. Right. So, you know, that's just, that's just life, you know, but um, you take that and then like couple that on several, several generations of experience, then this is where you land, you, you know? Um, and that's just the reality, but yeah, I don't have, um, I don't have a conversation with, I mean, literally just with one, you know, of my police officer friends. Um, and that's it. That first line, the only black family in the white church, like that, mm-hmm instantly stuck out to me yeah but you you kind of amp that up when you get to the the blue-eyed jesus bit yeah yeah because i i recognize that 
you know, if if Christ was from the Middle East, he would look Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and this Ikea Jesus that we've got in the church up here. <laughs> Ikea Jesus. Awesome. Does not, you know, and uh, and so I hear that, you know, blue eyed Jesus looking down on me, brown skin always seemed to be the enemy. And to me, that is just so foreign. Mm-hmm. But I like I like the line that you end this with. Um, well, I don't know where I fit in, but also how it how it rolls into the chorus. Yeah, because, you know, you already mentioned looking for purpose, right? The first part of the chorus is if life is a symphony, do I have a part do I have a part to play? You can kind of use the first part of that chorus to either finish the last line of the first verse. Yes. Or to start the chorus. Like, well, I don't know where I fit in if life is a symphony. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or if life is a symphony, do I have a part to play? Like, I really love when lyrics are constructed that way to use the same set of words to to convey different ideas and ask different questions yeah i'm glad you noticed that that's a great i mean um chase who the producer he does this thing called lyric jousting so we go through and it's not necessarily rewriting things but it's like okay we have this the song is good but can we make these words fit better um and the chorus was actually flipped it was actually started with is there a place for me at your table okay and that's where it started and just kind of what you're talking about. I don't know where I fit in. It's like, oh man, if life is a symphony, do I have a part to play? That like, that almost, it flowed out of that first verse so well. You know, is there a place for me at your tables or song where people, all you people can say, if life is a symphony. But I was like, it's just stronger. One, it's stronger to start with if life is a symphony, you know, but then kind of how that does flow out of that first verse. It was, it was once again, the process was great because we didn't just kind of, take it as it is, but we really wanted to make sure that we were saying the right things and clear and concise. Right. So, but right. yeah. Yeah. You know, after the chorus, there's a little bit of music and there's the, do, 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 and it's like, it's catchy and it's fun and it's poppy. Whereas the lyrics are convicting. Yeah. So you, you go through this kind of very poppy feel good blip and it's almost like here I am entertaining you. And now all right, back to my story, if you don't mind. You know, right. like, right. it's such a cool way to kind of like give them a little bit of sugar and then say, all right, no, no, we're still talking about this, this yeah, yeah. thing that we need to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, um, it was like cathartic, you know, getting all that out to just to be able to say the things that I needed to say. Um, and there is a lot of fear, you know, for me because. I don't know how it's going to be received, you know, and I, I know that it's, it is uncomfortable, but it was like just kind of a burden on my heart. Like I just, I needed to say these things and the conversations that I have with people are great, honestly, um, because I really feel, how do I say, well, I was having a conversation with, um, I was in San Antonio last weekend and this lady comes up to me and she's like, um, you don't remember me. We've met a couple of times, but on Twitter, when all the things were happening in Ferguson, you and Greg Iwinski took the time to kind of answer my questions. And I saw a whole different perspective that I never even considered or knew about, you know? And um, this is a mom, she's got older kids and, um, you know, this is in Texas, but she's like, you really helped me see another side. I was like, wow, that was, 
that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, one, it's Twitter, you know, and Twitter's yeah, that's, that never happens, you know, it's, it's just all of us screaming at each other. But, um, and so I think for me as an artist, it was, you know, one of the things that I care about, cared about to be reflected in my art. And, um, and so your table was kind of like that boldest, the bolder step for me. And, um, it is kind of like the standout as far as like, I think it does set the tone, you know, for a lot of things. And I think it helps explain once you hear someone's story, like you can't, you know, like a story is a story, you know, like you, you know, you hear someone's story, you can't really disagree with someone's story, you know, like that's just, yeah, it's their, right. it's their thing, you know, and, um, and it's disarming, right? right? Like hearing someone's perspective and their story is disarming, you know, and it's not meant as a guilt trip, but it is, it is because it's not meant as a guilt trip, but it's at the end, you know, I'm like, maybe you'd see from somebody else's eyes, like just hear my story and just try to understand for a little bit, you know, um, where I'm, where someone else is coming from. Cause I do, you know, like have felt and do constantly feel on the outside. Um, so to be heard, to be seen is important. And, um, some people do that with their art. Some people don't, you know, and that's fine. I, I think, you know, but I think for me, it doesn't, it's not going to help me get gigs. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, damn sure. that's, that's not going to help me get gigs. But, right. Right. Um, it is something that I believe in. I'm proud of. Yeah, know? sure. Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I can, like, I know people who would hear this song and be offended by it. You know, like that they, they would, Oh yeah. They uh, personally, like they would think that it was an attack on white America, that it was just another black man complaining. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, with me, anything that could be taken as an attack, I, I have for a long time, I've always just tried to take it as a challenge. Like, is this, right. is this true? Right. What this guy's saying doesn't necessarily reflect me well. It doesn't reflect kindly on me. But is it? Is there any truth in it? Right. You know. And uh, one example of that. There's a. I think he's British. A songwriter named David Ford. He's got a song that is it's called "State of the Nation." One of the lines in it, it's just this kind of like cultural critique. Right. You know, like like one of the lines is "Have no fear for the state of the nation. Let the facts have no bearing on public relations." Like, mm. you know, he and he wrote this uh, long before politics got, I guess, social media dirty. You know, um, yeah, yeah. And one of the lines in the song was, "What a model of Christian behavior! Preach on with the message of go fuck thy neighbor." Mm. And I like, <laughs> and I met him at a show. Because uh, he had opened for Ingrid Michaelson when I was living in D.C. And he, he played that song, and I went up and, and talked to him afterwards. And I said, I said, what's, what's that line that you're... Like, I, I can't quite hear the words, like what you're singing with them. What a model of Christian behavior. And he repeated the line and then kind of laughed and said, yeah, sorry, sorry, for, the, um, sorry for the language. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh... and I said no, no, man, it, it doesn't offend me. I said, look, I'm... I'm Christian, or at least I, I try to be. And honestly, like I hear that and I, I take it as a challenge to not, yeah. to not be that way, you know, to, yeah. to not preach that message. Absolutely. And so, and so that's why somebody who came from a completely different place as you, um, right. but at the same time, basically grew up in the same place. Right. Like, I feel like I can either take this as something that offends me or 
I can say, hey, what can I learn from this? <laughs> you know, right. Maybe maybe things aren't always how I thought that they were. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, you already addressed the the being stuck in the middle because I'm African. You know, you're not. Yeah. You're not black. Like you're you're African. <laughs> you know, you right. You don't yeah. get a say in this conversation. Yeah, it's like a just a huge complex for me as a kid. You know, like a, um, feeling like stuck stuck in between not having a place and um you know nobody nobody wants that feeling you know but um that was uh something that i felt like i had to contend with a lot and I, it was funny because i so my, one of my best friends growing up his name is kevin he's black and he was like he called me he was like yeah listen to your new song and i was just thinking like what is he talking about you know because this is a guy who was like around for all this stuff you know but and then he's like and then he, he's like then i started thinking i was like oh my gosh he's so right you know like i he's like i never even processed this stuff before he's like but as you were going through it i was like dude like yeah i'm like yeah man this is and so for him he was like around you know me and one of my best friends and he was black and it was never like a thing that i was african for him so it was just like whatever um, but he didn't know that I was going through that. He didn't know that I was struggling with that. He didn't know that I felt out on the outside, you know, um, in a lot of different ways. He had no, you know, he had no idea, you know, cause we, I grew up in a place called Columbia, Missouri and it's, um, you know, it's just an interesting place, you know, the Missouri's, you know, interesting place, you know, Ferguson happened there. It's like very weird race relations. And, um, so for, you know, for me, <clears throat> having to contend with that, having to contend with being, you know, um, son, a son of an, of immigrants and, um, you know, the whole, the whole deal was, um, I found my circle, I think, but it was a very small circle of very trusted people. But even within that, like, I didn't feel free to express how I really felt, you know, and like my insecurities. And, um, and that's just, I mean, that's not just you know, racism, that's just high school, you know, Yeah, sure. um, that's just being a kid. But, um, yeah, those are the things that I felt like I had to deal with very early on, you know, which you're already dealing with stuff, but then having to deal with being called the N word, you know, like that happened often. It happened several times, you know, um, by gotten, like by people who are serious or by kids who didn't really understand the implication of it. They're just being, yeah. both i mean okay. the people who were like people who didn't understand the implications or were you know didn't you know who just kind of said it was a lot i mean right you know it was a lot and you know i know you think you're cool but you're not cool enough to say that word you know that <laughs> that happened a ton yeah you're, you're like you're never gonna be cool enough to say that word you know that that was that um but in but then outside of that you know the times that it was directed at me you know, like a lot when I was when I was in uh, when I was in elementary school, um, when I got to middle school, you know, several times I got I got suspended once. And I, you know, this kid who lived close to me called me, called me the N word when we were in line arguing about something. And that's where he went. And and uh, we got in a fight. I told my parents why I was suspended they were like okay <laughs> you know like it's i guess it's okay you know like um playing in high school playing football you know this other guy that played football with you know in the locker room called me coming you know like it's just one of those things and where um you know i grew up in the 90s so even by then it was like okay clearly you don't say this 
right. but even, it still happened. And, and just knowing the amount that it was said, you know, outside of us, you know, like, I, you know, like when, when we're not there, when, right. when a black person is not present, you know, the jokes and that stuff, you know, and, um, and, um, you know, so those, those, those are like the, you know, the, the insults, but you know, it goes deeper than that. Like when I was in sixth grade, my, um, sixth grade math teacher was, um, well, there was like four black kids in, in the, in the, her whole class in her whole math class. There's just four of us. And naturally I gravitated towards them. They were my friends. They're the people that I related to. And, uh, one time she, and I was not doing well. This is sixth grade math. And for some reason I wasn't, I didn't have good grades and whatever, but I remember she said to me once, she pulls me aside and so this has to do with racism and also being still being on the outside. She pulls me aside and she says, you don't have to be like them. I was like, what? She's like, you don't have to be like them. You're not like them. And she was pointing as they were leaving the room at other black friends, right? She was pointing, you know, I think she'd held us back for something, whatever. It's like, you don't have to be like them. You're not like them. And I was so, <laughs> I was so flabbergasted and also like it all clicked. I'm like, oh, she's racist. That makes sense. And I went home. I told my mom what she said. And my mom, man, she, my mom's a freaking warrior. She's a freaking fighter. And um, my mom went to war with the school. And within a couple of weeks, I was removed from that math class. Um, and that teacher tried to talk to me a couple of times, like, trying to apologize profusely like had this been today you know like she would have been blasted all over twitter and probably would have lost her job but you know this is um whenever i was whenever i was 12 or whatever you know so um and she tried to apologize and i was like and my mom had told me like you know you don't talk to her anymore and that's fine um but this is in sixth grade i was 12 you know like i'm dealing with that shit when i'm 12 you know like that sucks you know and uh i you know, I'm always grateful to my mom because she was just a fighter. She just didn't let it go. And, and I think I get my spirit and my want and desire for justice from her. And, uh, you know, this song is, I think it is, it's done in the spirit of Fideli and Dolo, which is my mom, you know, like, it's just, you know, she just, she's all about truth and fighting against things that need to be fought against. And um, I've always kind of believed that. And, but I think a lot of people too, are just don't know. They just don't. When, when you hear the only black family in the white church, it's like that line right there is like, whoa, I didn't even that, you know, some people might, they might get angry. They might be shocked, you know, like they, you know, whatever. It's like, I didn't even think about that, you know, um, you know, and that's good. That's good. I want it to be thought provoking, you know, like I want people to, you know, take a second. It's like, dang, I didn't, I didn't, didn't even know. I had no idea, you know? Yeah, man. You, you already mentioned Malcolm X a little bit and how reading him kind of gave you, I guess, a, a sense of purpose. Um, the lyric in the, the second verse is Malcolm X gave me pride and confidence. Yeah. Dr. King and his words gave me hope again. So those are obviously two very different figures in the civil rights movement. Yeah. And I think as far as um, white people, white history are concerned, we talk about Dr. King and what he did for civil rights 
we completely ignore and do not talk about everything else that he said about nonviolence and the poor and Vietnam. Right. Um, we're not interested in his teachings or his preachings in that regard. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as Malcolm X is concerned, I do not remember talking about him in school. You know, he might have been mentioned. His name might have been in bold in the history textbook. Right. But that's it. Like, so from your perspective, you know, when you learned a little bit about each of these guys and their methods and their approaches, which were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, how did each of those kind of resonate? There was, um, yeah. Um, you know, Malcolm X, I mean, Martin Luther King obviously is like the natural, like everyone knows, you know, you know what he did and his contributions to the civil rights movement. Um, the part that's skirted because of his, because he was seen as this extreme person was Malcolm X and Malcolm X for me, how he resonated with me was, um, the pride, you know, like uh, there was, sh- there was shame sometimes for me being the other, being black, being, you know, I felt shame and n- seeing a man like this who, um, came from nowhere, like absolutely nowhere at like, and, you know, bettered himself, fought for, you know, black people. It, it kind it blew me away, you know, like, to, to not feel powerless, you know, because there's the powerlessness that people, that people don't account for, you know, like you feel powerless, you know, I, I look at injustice today, you know, I see what happened, like, you know, like a lot of this for me publicly, when I started saying how I feel was, was um, Ferguson and Mike Brown. And I felt so powerless, you know, when I'd speak out, I felt it was like, you know, people were so against that message or, or, you know, like, you know, whatever it is with Malcolm X, there was like this feeling of like, I'm, there's power, you know, like in in who we are. And that's a scary thing, right? Because um, for a lot of white people, it's like that, that thought of like black power, you know, like just that, you know, like that whole deal. It's like, it seems like way power. That's, the flip side of it is like when you hear someone say white power, it's like, Oh, that's bad. Right. 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 That's, that should be bad. It's like, well, why that's bad is because the power structure is already in favor of white people. So when a black person who feels powerless says black power, they're like, we want equal footing. We want power as you have power. That that's the difference. It wasn't supremacy. Sure. It was, we, we want to have a leg up. We want to have the same benefits as you. And that's where Malcolm X was coming from. Now, Malcolm X went from, he, the cool thing about Malcolm X, now people, he went through a journey, a, like a real like cool arc that I think made him more dangerous as he went along. Because at first he was, you know, a black separ- uh, separatist, you know, in the nation of Islam and you know, he was just almost seen as like this shock, you know, demagogue, whatever. But as time went on, it was it, that that changed. Like his his relationship with the nation of Islam, he 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 became he left the nation of Islam. He became a real, you know, he he embraced actual Islam, and um, you know, his 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 uh, desire to work with other civil rights leaders, which he had not had before, just came up. And this is what I think made him even more dangerous. Um, was that he was now willing to have to sit at the table with Martin Luther King and all that stuff. And that was something that was not 
you know, work for the power structure. We already know that the FBI already, you know, was had their hands in Martin Luther King. You know, the, he was seen as the most dangerous person. That, that's that's not like that's not hearsay or uh, conspiracy theories. That's actual like released FBI. Like they saw Martin Luther King as dangerous. He was the most hated man in America. Like they hated Martin Luther King. Right now, we've sainted him and we've sterilized him and we've put statues up. We kind we kind of whitewashed him. <laughs> exactly, we whitewashed him. Absolutely. You know, so if that's Martin Luther King, like Malcolm X was absolutely and utterly, um, well, was put on the outside because of his quote unquote extremist views. But for me, as a young kid, I saw someone who was not afraid, um, who um, saw his blackness as something that was beautiful and desired equal footing. Um, and that really resonated with me. It gave me confidence and it says that in this, in the, in the song and in, in, in a good way to be proud. Like I, I want, you know, when I'm looking at myself, there's, and this is something that I've, I haven't really shared. I shared it for the first time with my wife. Um, and I'll share this cause I, you know, I think it's important, but when I was a kid, I believed in the fairness of God, right? I believed that God was fair. And I thought that in his fairness, um, because it was so hard being black, and I was young, young when I was thinking about this, because it's so hard being black, I thought that there must be a time in a black person's life where they get to experience being white, that magically their skin's going to shift and they get the privileges of being white. Now, this is what something from a young age, I believe I thought this because I believed in a fair God. And my parents, I don't think, knew enough because they come from Nigeria. There's, there was no like, you know, you're, you're Nigerian. You're, you love who you are. You know, that's all there is. You know, you're black. But I don't think they understood the, the nuances of raising a black kid in a very white America. I don't think they, I don't think they really understood sure. um, the ramifications. So for me... As a very young person, this is the thing that this is what I was feeling. And it was a little bit of shame and it was a little bit of, and it was a justice. I thought, like, clearly we need to have our day in the sun. And so this is this, this is like stuff that I'm still sifting through as an adult. I'm, you know, like, um, I'm an old man now, you know, but it's like, yeah, how old are you? I'm 35. Okay. You know, like, is still trauma that's like and once again i don't want to belittle that word but there is there's a sense of this is like traumatic experiences you know that uh, you know like that was that's what i went through you know um and to go through it so young and to have to untwist so many you know things in my life you know um i'm still dealing with you know, still trying to sift through. And I think about the next generation. I think about my nieces. I think about my nephew. I think about, you know, God willing, our future kids, you know. Um, you know, I want them to know that who they are is beautiful. That's just, uh, I think, you know, like as much as I want to fight for justice and speak out when I need to speak out, I'm thinking about the next generation. I'm thinking about the young ones. I want my nieces and my nephew and my future kids and all, you know, to, to, to be proud of who they are, you know, like 
you know, and people don't think about like when, when people get, when we get really excited about black Panther, you know, like I needed black Panther when I was a kid, I needed black Panther when I was in fourth grade, I needed to see that movie. And every time that there was anything like that, it was such a beautiful thing. It was a celebration, you know, um, for us, even particular, for instance, black Panther was so great because it was not just a all black cast, but it was like celebrating African, you know, culture, right. which is not done. It is not done. You know, like the ramifications of the, of the, you know, African diaspora were all over the place, you know, and, and we're just trying to figure out who we are. There's, you know, black people, and there's most black people in this country can't go on ancestry.com and get past their enslaved ancestors. Yeah. You know, like, it's crazy. It stops. It's crazy. Man. It's, it stops there. You know, like, I, you know, there's um, a blessing for me. Like I, I know, you know, like I have land in Nigeria, you know, like I know, you know, like, um, you know, like we have family, you know, like that's, you know, like I, like I know where I'm from. I know what village I'm from. I know what tribe I'm from. Like I know all those things, you know, but for a good portion of um, a, a massive portion, mo- the majority, they don't, black people don't know where they come from. Like that's the ramifications of that. It's huge. It's huge. It's still ongoing, you know? Sure. And we still need to repair it. It needs to be repaired. And, and unless it's acknowledged, it's never, it's not going to be, you know? And I think the people who kind of put their heads in the sand and say, la, 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 not, not happening. Everything's good. You, you, you're still, am I, you know, you're kind of being part of the problem instead of just confronting and saying like, yeah, I, you know, we need, we do need to own up to this. And let, let me hear the other side. You know, that's important. It's really important. Right. So, yeah. 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 I, you know, I think awareness as kind of a, a hashtag or a trending topic, it gets a lot of, it gets a lot of flack uh, for, for kind of having been reduced to that. Right. But, the reality is that before any revolution, um, either in the world or in the heart, you know, before any revolution can begin, there needs to be consciousness. Right. And I think, you know, in terms of the last stanza, you know, seeing the world through another's eyes, maybe learn how to empathize with the brother on the outside. Like for, for me, for a lot of people that I know, that means acknowledging that a lot of people grow up thinking and experiencing a white God, white cops, white preachers, white shows, white songs, white teachers. Like absolutely. That's, that's how it all looks to them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, and I was funny cause we did that song, you know, we did that song live a couple of times and literally the, these, the first festival we did was um, in Duluth, Minnesota. <laughs> it's like the whitest place. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a human glacier up there in yeah 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 <laughs> it was the first time i'd done we'd done it live i'm like you know and and just like anybody like you know like you're talking about that artist like oh yeah sorry about the language you know like you write these songs you know and you're convicted about them but then you kind of like write them in like a bubble and then you're like oh shit, i gotta go sing this in front of people you know and and um yeah. i've never had a song where i'm like ooh, our are, am I going to get like booed because I'm singing this? Like I never, I've never had that before. And this is definitely one of those moments like man, this, this could be the time, you know? Um, but it was funny. They booked this festival had booked us and they're like, yeah, we want Ike to play all his new songs. I'm like, I don't think they know what they're asking, but we'll do it. And, um, 
I just remember, you know, I did it and um, still the response was, was really great. And, but you know, it's like at the end of it, you know, white God, white cops are a preacher. You're like, Oh snap. I'm saying it's like this like hammer, like what God, white cops are preachers. Like, that's not it. I'm just telling like, I want I wanted to emphasize, I wanted to emphasize what my world was like and why that matters. It matters. It matters. The fact that it matters that I didn't have a lot of black examples, you know, positive examples that matters. Um, because you didn't have to think about that, but I do. And that tainted my experience that like damaged my psyche, you know, that caused trauma for me and you didn't have to go through that. And so when even like the word white privilege, you know, people hear that and they're like, well, I, you know, we grew up poor. Da, da, da. It's like, it has nothing to do with you, the, your wealth. Or, I'm not talking about your wealth, but I'm saying the hard times that you may have experienced in your life had little to nothing to do with your skin color, but mine did. And that's, that's, that's an acknowledging that is important. Acknowledging, right. acknowledging right. that is, is good. Yeah. Um, well, I, I liked what you said earlier about, you know, you're not making an argument. You're just sharing your experience. And I think like, right. I think like experience, it doesn't hold weight as an argument, but it's formative. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's exactly it. It makes you into who you are. And that's the perspective through which you filter and refine all arguments. Right. Right. And, and, and it's okay, you know, um, to disagree with somebody. It is, um, but just to hear, to hear them, you know, to hear that uh, I had a different life than you and it's okay. I just need you to hear me. And maybe we can start there. Um, if you don't hear me, then we don't have a whole lot of ground to, to stand on, you know? Right. So I think your table was one of those things where it's like, it was like a, like a bedrock, you know, like if we can start on this common ground here where you're just listening to my story that would mean a lot and it goes a long way and you're right it's not an argument you know my story's not an argument you know it's not gonna it shouldn't win an argument but it should give context for someone else's suffering someone else whatever what you know what someone else's life has been um and you can have a little bit of compassion even if you don't necessarily agree with whatever it is x y and z like well i don't you know think they should be kneeling at the end i'm like well that's fine but i think you should hear why they're doing it you know um, you know, instead of just carte blanche, just dismissing them because it's makes you uncomfortable. You know, you know why they're doing it, Ike? Uh, I, they're doing it because, because they hate freedom and they love, <laughs> and they love brain damage. That's why they're doing it. <laughs> oh gosh, that's funny. But it's, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like even in the NFL, like you can, you know, be a wife beater, but if you're cleared by your team, then we're all and you're you're getting us the touchdowns or right. the sacks, then it's all it's all good and well. But right. you know, you, you take a stand against something that is important, uh, then it's uh then it's too much. And um it's just it's nest and it's also we have a we have a hearing problem. We're not hearing people, right? Like, you know, like for instance, that's been said. It's like this is why we're doing it. Like we're doing it because of this, you know, like right. Um, and it's like, no, you're not. You're doing it because you hate America. It's like, well, we've told you why we did it, and you don't want to hear us, and that's fine. But yeah, that's you know, like it's just it it yeah, 
Yeah. It's the listening, right? And like, it, right. it's fine if you don't agree, but you have to hear first. You have to right. he- you have to hear yeah. first. Yeah. It requires intellectual honesty. And like, yes. when any argument or any reasons that people give are reduced to a phobia. Right. You know, like Colin Kaepernick is saying exactly why he's kneeling. If you disagree with that, fine. Fine. But don't make up some other argument. Don't impose some other reasons on him that make it easier for you to win a fictitious argument against him. Like, right. it's just reducing any argument to to a phobia, uh, to a hate is it's intellectually dishonest. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's just important to listen, obviously. And well, I mean, it's probably just another conversation, but it it, it is like we, I mean, all these are, all these are heavy things, you know? Right. And, um, I do believe we've lost the ability to listen and to hear. And I think the safe place as an artist for me is, you know, I think we songwriters do, we, we kind of hide behind our songs, you know, like, you know, and we, we maybe color it with like pretty metaphor and whatever. And I can't hide in this song, you know, like this is not a hide song. Like um, it's, you know, it's pretty out there. But I think the cool thing is, is I wasn't, it was, it was not a song for me to hide behind. It was a song for me to like, finally just say, let me just tell you, let me just tell you how I really feel, you know, take, take it or leave it, you know, believe it or not believe it, but this is my story. And I I hope you, I hope you listen. The only black family in the white church Pops went to mass in some throat shirts Mama made sure we never missed a thing Blue-eyed Jesus looking down on me Brown skin always seemed to be the enemy well, I don't know where I fit in If life is a sin for me Do I have a part to play? Is there a melody that's written for me? Is there a place for me to take? Is there a song all you people can sing?
My story that I won't hurt a black kid growing up in the suburbs. White God, white cops, white preachers, white shows, white songs, white teachers. Hey, see the world through another's eyes. Maybe learn how to empathize. Oh, with the brother on the outside. If you enjoyed my conversation with Ike and you'd like to check out more of his music, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Bandcamp, all those sites. And you can always go straight to his own website, ikeandolo.com, to get physical copies, check his tour schedule, and learn more. I put some links in the show notes on songandstorypodcast.com. And I really can't emphasize this enough. Ike's new album is really creative, and it is best experienced when listened to from start to finish. Streaming music is great because it's convenient, it gives you instant access to artists and their catalogs, but one of the best ways you can support artists in this current climate is by purchasing their music. So don't just stream it. If you like it, buy it. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash songandstory. A lot of work goes into a single episode, and every little bit helps keep the train rolling. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, as well as Song and Story Podcast on social media. You can find all those links, and you can learn more, listen, and subscribe today at songandstorypodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Normally, at this point in the episode, I tend to include a bonus clip featuring more of my conversation with the artist. However, given that Ike and I talked so long and this episode is already significantly longer than all of the previous episodes, there is no bonus clip. Instead, I will be releasing a bonus episode featuring more of my conversation with Ike. We dug a little more into the production and the creativity and the technical side of performing, specifically as it relates to this new album of Ike's. So I will be releasing all of that as a bonus episode available to all on all podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. If you like this show, if you like what I'm doing with this podcast, please share the love and share the links.